make sure that uh, that program doesn't contain controversial subjects and uh, you're not impolite to people. No, definitely not, Dad. You know me. I'm never, <laughs> ever controversial or yeah, impolite. Yeah, yeah, okay. Welcome to Conversations with your lovable, never pisses anyone off, never been banned from Facebook or YouTube, never been sabotaged or censored for politely expressing a difference of opinion, ex-Muslim host Ina, keeping it non-controversial. Welcome to the third panel episode of Polite Conversations on the Burkini Hijab Niqab Debate. Today, I have an excellent panel for you, one that's been quite tricky to assemble, actually. We've got Sarah Hader. Hello. Writer, activist, and co-founder of Ex-Muslims of North America. And we have Hoda Katibi, yes. Muslim Iranian activist and blogger at Juju Azad. She's also the author of the book Tehran Street Style. And we also have Hala Arafa, who is a former newscaster and news editor at the Voice of America Arabic branch. Hello. How are you guys? Well, hopefully we're all well. I'm so <laughs> glad you all could make Very it. Well. I have tried to get so many people on to discuss this topic, and I can tell you how many people turned me down. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> it seems to be like not everyone wants to have this discussion. I wonder why. But okay, so Sarah, you wrote a really good piece on this. It was really balanced and fair. And uh, of course, on Twitter, you were attacked for that. Yes. Yes. So what were some of the things that you were talking about in your piece? Well, generally speaking, I mean, I I understand um, why people feel the need to fight back against Islamism and, you know, the hijab and the, you know, burkini and, and various, you know, very obviously uh, religious gear, garb. I can understand why people feel that, you know, if we eliminate this, um, it will ease tensions, it will, you know, somehow send a message, the right kind of message that we want you to assimilate. Um, I just don't think that it's very intelligent. I don't think it's very practical. I don't think it does what you want it to do, which is to say that I don't think it curbs extremism mm -hmm. in any real sense. And I don't think it helps uh, the most vulnerable Muslim women. Right. And actually, uh, it turns out it boosted burkini sales. So. <laughs> right. So, yeah, I think I, I agree with you quite a bit on that. I've been pretty open about how critical I am about religious modesty garb, but I don't necessarily agree with banning it because I don't think it's effective. Uh, I think you have to coax people out of these types of beliefs and not force them out of these types of beliefs. And... Hoda, you are the only person on our panel that has a, a <laughs> current experience, I guess, everyday experience wearing the hijab, right? Do yeah. you do you wear a burkini? I no, I haven't been. I've I've always lived in a landlocked state in the United States, so <laughs> no chance to wear a burkini. No, so I also, I'm in the fashion industry and don't find them particularly fashion forward, so I just haven't worn them. But that's. <laughs> Well, what do you, do you go swimming at all in the pool or? Um, 
I've gone swimming when I was in Iran. I went swimming, um, and there you don't need a burkini because they just actually just section off a whole part of the Caspian Sea for you. <laughs> um, and women would wear whatever they wanted and just. Well, how jump. do they? How do they do that effectively? <laughs> um, it's not the most effective thing. Um, it's actually it's more lax than people would imagine. Um, it's basically like um, like the material that tents are made out of, but it's kind of built into the water, and they just kind of like a little wall basically um on both sides and it's just an expansive well, everything area. is segregated there so i think it would uh, be di- well, not everything. difficult <laughs> um some things are segregated yeah but definitely not everything do you feel that like uh, the hijab and these modesty coverings are a form of segregation or no um i don't think that necessarily a hijab is a form of segregation um especially i think we should also talk about the difference with a muslim woman or a woman wearing the hijab in iran where it is mandatory or in saudi arabia um than a woman choosing to wear a hijab freely in france or the united states for example like i think those have very different significance absolutely but i mean firstly we can't really say who's choosing and who's not because it's just it's very hard to gauge that right like there's subtle pressures as well from family like i have family members that wear hijab and uh i have a a relative that puts her nine-year-old in a hijab who is obviously not old enough to consent to it. So, yeah, but I mean, I, I do think that there is pressure to wear a hijab, but I think there's also pressure not to wear a hijab. Like as a Muslim woman who chooses to wear the hijab in the United States, if at anything at all, um, all I've seen around me are people constantly saying, take it off, take it off, you know, like, oh, I'm sure your hair is pretty, take off your hijab. You know, people right. have actually pulled it off my head. So I think that they're equal, if not more pressure to take off the hijab. Uh... I don't. I don't think. I don't know if it would be equal at all. But yeah, I, can, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say I, equal. Come on, Hoda. I mean, I mean like in, in, in other countries, they will throw uh, acid on the face of anybody who's not wearing it, including Christians. This is I'm talking about Egypt, right? And um, I've seen Christian women. Actually, my mom died um, last April, so I had to do some stuff in the uh, um, government and certain papers, and I went in and I saw this woman with a cross on her um, forearm. And, but she's wearing a hijab. I told her, what are you doing? Why are She said, if I go home, if I walk on my street not wearing the hijab, I, I'd be attacked. So mm-hmm. I'm wearing I it. I don't. Yeah, yes. sorry, no, I, I think that's obviously very, very awful. But saying that for me and my experience and also like other millions of Muslims around the world to kind of take that away that we feel we don't see constant pressure to take off the hijab. Like I was physically assaulted multiple times. Like I was beaten up for wearing the hijab. Oh. Um, oh, yeah. And I've never had that threat in Oklahoma Where is that? in the United Where? States. You were beaten up? Yes. For, for wearing I a was. hijab? Where? Yes. How? In Oklahoma and the United States. Like just walking down the street? From a kid in my school. I was in school and a kid actually, after he continuously called me a terrorist, and he's like, you should take it off. And I kept saying no, and he beat me up. And a teacher actually who was standing there turned around so she didn't have to see it. So again, like I'm, I'm not at all saying that there's no pressure from Muslims to for other people to wear the like other Muslim women to wear the hijab. Like, of course, I think that's bad. But for me, at least, there's been tremendous, extreme more pressure coming from the outside for me to take it off. So much more, and for other like millions of other Muslims. Um, I've talked to so many other Muslim women who also have faced similar experiences. 
Yeah. Yeah. So it definitely is, like equal if not more. Well, tell me, why did you choose to wear it? This is Hala. I just want to know, why did you choose to wear it? Well, I think um, it's definitely, for me, it's a, it's a fluid part of my identity. So it's something that changes. So I can't say I've always worn it for the exact same reasons, just the same reason that, because I, so I work in fashion. The way that I dress has changed also for, you know, throughout the course of my life. Um, but also I think it's important not to let one person's choice and relationship to the hijab become a standard for all women because there's billions of women. Um, no, no, I get that. But when yeah. you say that there's if more, if not equal, if not more pressure to take off the hijab, I think that's that's hugely inaccurate. I mean, I totally get that there is pressure to take it off sometimes. Um, and I can see why that would be a deterrent when someone is constantly telling you to do something that's something that you really wouldn't want to do. But I don't think it's uh, in any way comparable to, like, if you think of the majority of hijab-wearing women, where where do they reside? They reside in the Muslim world. And what happens there? They don't get a choice. So, I mean, I, I think don't... That's what I'm saying. Like, like regulatory, like, forced hijab, as in, like, a state-sanctioned thing, like, I'm against that 100%. But to say that I haven't, or many other Muslim women who choose to wear the hijab in the United States, haven't received... Um, more pressure to take off the hijab than put it on, I think is like denying my experiences. Um, but even in the West, though, we can't even begin to gauge how many women are pressured into it. So we can't... But, yeah, I know. But we also can't say that it's just um, completely inaccurate uh, that I haven't received or other Muslim women no, no, like I'm me not, haven't. I'm not negating your experience at all. I'm saying I know absolutely that you must have... Uh, faced discrimination or whatever because of it and I am completely against that as well you know I stand up against that kind of stuff all the time but I just don't think that it's fair to say that it is equal if not more pressure to remove the hijab because I don't see anyone forcing you to take it off if it's some crazy dude on the street maybe but that's a one-off experience it's not like your regular but it's not though like, like I would love to agree with you but like it's not like again I'm talking from my personal experience but there's also countless statistics and surveys that prove that this is a very large problem. Like that people just, are ripping off hijabs. No, yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. beg it's, to differ. No, the highest. No, 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 no. But like, I <laughs> come on. I work very closely the, with care. I work very closely with organizations that document this information. Uh, well, like, I'm not just like making well, it up. You know, like it's like I think why it's just the kind FBI. of like a yes, no okay, let's kind just, of game. <laughs> but like, you can't deny my experiences or just like the countless women that I've talked no, to. No, no, nobody's denying your experience. Nobody's denying your experience. But we're you, not denying it, but we're not generalizing. I'm just it. saying the that FBI. It's not, the FBI re report, the annual report of the FBI about hate crimes motivated either by race or religion, they still put the Jews on top of the list, 57%, as opposed to the Muslims, 16%. Okay, but how is that so, saying that, then, but that? That doesn't negate the fact that Muslims still face discrimination. It doesn't make, I never, never once said that Muslims. 153 have more incidents. In the world. Uh -huh. 153 incidents over a period of a year in 50 states does not it does not mean it's widespread. Yes, there are some some Americans who might be scared with good reason. Um, There's never good reason to like rip, rip someone's <laughs> like, job off. But. I think just 
but like also I think like I never reported the fact that my hijab was torn up or the fact that I was beaten up to the FBI. You and should. I think a lot of Muslim, but like a lot you of Muslims should. don't. But you were beaten up in the schoolyard, right? I mean, this yeah, is like exactly. a children's fight, though. This is different from but adult. But is it a children's fight? Is it? But like when you see things on the news, like it it shows that we're part of a culture. This is all part of like a culture of Islamophobia that's cultivated in the United States. Can I? Can it's I not, just? It's um, not just like a schoolyard. Like oh, like oh, you like talk to my crush or something. It's not that. Like you clearly when they call you a terrorist, you know, when they call you like oh, take that thing off your head, you know, like all these sort of things. Like don't oh, don't blow me up. Where's the bomb? Like it's more than just like a schoolyard thing. You know, it's you obviously know, clearly related to what they hear on their television screen. As ex-Muslims, we still get that, right? You, you, I'm not an ex-Muslim. I'm a very very pious practicing Muslim. No, no, no. But I'm saying even as ex-Muslims <laughs> like Sarah and I are, we still get. Um, anti-Muslim bigotry directed towards us. I get told that I should be sterilized because I can't be trusted to breed and stuff like that. So I get it. I've personally experienced it. I'm just trying to get some sense of proportion here. Well, I think, Mm -hmm. I mean, I I think it's important here to sort of clarify what we're talking about because I think we're talking over each other. But for one, I don't think anyone is saying that uh, it's impossible that women who wear the hijab get, um, you know, harassed, or or there are some some forces that pull them in the direction of taking off the hijab. I don't think that I don't think that that's really being denied here by anybody. Mm-hmm. And I, I agree that that it happens, and I've I've even you know seen it happen. Um, but I think it's important to make a distinction between what's happening in the aggregate and and perhaps an individual experience that is very much different from the aggregate. So I think it's fair to say that there are um, there are stronger pulls with perhaps the average Muslim woman. Now, I don't have data here, but I'm just speaking from what I think is reasonable um, analysis of what we do have to say that the average Muslim woman might experience a stronger pull to be more modest, to to put on the hijab than she does to take it off. Not to say that she doesn't have any pulls to take it off to, just that there's a greater pull in one direction. And it's coming from family, friends, community. And I think that's the most important thing because those are the people you don't want to leave. Those are the people you don't want to be isolated from. Exactly. And so they have, you know, just a, just a overwhelmingly strong um presence when it comes to, you know, coercive action one way or another. Yeah, so actually, um, so I do a lot of research in Iran um, because I'm Iranian. Um, All my research is focused in Iran. I think it's a really interesting country. Um, In Iran, among the youth, uh, it's actually the opposite. So despite the fact that there's a law, like a mandatory law for all women to be wearing the hijab, it's you're pulled by your friends to take it off or kind of like have this sort of like pulling it, you know, there's having your ponytail and just setting it on your ponytail or like having it around your shoulders until the cops come up. So there's actually people who wear the hijab and cover up all their hair or look down upon. Like so many times I've been in the car with young people where they're like, oh, how many points do I get if I run over this like person who's, you know, like wearing dress from head to toe and like religious like garments. So it's not at all like I think like even in Iran where the rule is to wear a hijab, like you it's more important for young people to be like taking it off there's a very stronger pull for younger people to be taking it off than keeping it on but in the larger scheme of things the pull of the law is obviously stronger than what's you know a few dissenters want to do but no i'm talking about like pools though like what what you feel socially obliged to do and where you feel that like just like in the united states like you're um i think sorry what's your name Sarah, that you mentioned. Say, like, um, you were just talking about how, like, community and family and friends are pulling you 
you know, to like put it on. Um, but again, you can't say that if you live in the United States, you don't constantly know that social like the social hierarchies in this country are you do not wear a hijab if you want like even like when i go to fashion week for example you can tell immediately that people look down on me because i choose to wear a hijab like there's a very clear like social hierarchy that's built that pushes women especially younger women to want to take off their hijab in the united states but also in iran is it looking down on you or is it like a legitimate form of confusion like because because your hijab is saying one thing and then you're you know, at Fashion Week, you're a fashion blogger. To me, that's very, that's that's contradictory, right? Because how is it contradictory? Well, I heard you say in an interview, uh, or on a, I think uh, I heard a talk you were doing with um, Asra, and mm-hmm. there you were asked about why you wear the hijab, and you said that you know, for you, it's something that keeps you focused and away from the superficialities of life. Right, like to not focus on outer beauty, things like that. But then, fashion. Well, I, I think also fashion is more than outer beauty. Fashion is an art. Fashion is a form of self-expression. Yeah, but that's um, outer beauty. So, but no, no, no. I mean, it's it's art. Like it's it's different. Um, I think what I mean by outer beauty is not just like oh, let me wear the latest trends. Um, that's like I think outer beauty is a superficial dependence on um, external affirmation on the way that you look. But that's you follow like hijabi fashion bloggers, right? But I mean, I follow for aesthetic reasons. Yeah, just like I follow art blogs. I follow right. Muslim so in, women artists. Like I think it's an so art. In Again, that like realm, I don't think it's like in ahead. that realm there will be trends as well, right? So it's not really just necessarily about what's happening in Cosmopolitan magazine. It's about different realms. There's trends everywhere. It's just right. like what people are, everyone decides to be wearing, what kind of is like inspiring the current, maybe it's based on political climate, maybe it's based on, you know, whatever, the season. But I think it doesn't mean that it's necessarily baseless. In fact, I think that calling the fashion industry a shallow industry or something that's just based on just external is like almost anti-feminist because historically within, it's always been a very fem- like women-centered and women-dominated industry. And so a lot of patriarchal people always call fashion is like oh you know the shallow little thing because it's dominated by women and women's work is never valued but i think fashion is very deep and has the potential to be an incredibly powerful and moving force um for social change um for art for aesthetic reasons so yeah i think it's it's important and i think it it makes a lot of sense together the hijab and the and fashion you mean yeah definitely um i'm confused i'm sorry i'm older than all of you probably so uh, much older. I'll be your mom, probably each and every one of you. But uh, it's just the the confusion between I want to cover up and I want to be in public space and I want to look good, but I don't want anybody to see me. Um, right. It's just I grew up in an extremely open society. Nobody was wearing their hijab until the 1980s when the conservative movement from Saudi Arabia started invading Egypt and everybody thought it was just a a regressive movement and it's never going to catch on uh, because the woman loves to get dressed up, put makeup and everything. It goes against the woman's nature. And we were studying when we were young about the women's liberation movement and how they took off the Turkish Ottoman um, yashmak, we call it, which is basically the complete cover but the complete cover came with 
Uh-huh. Like a burka, you mean? Like a, the it's face not, as well? No. Or? no, it's not like a burka. It's, it's just, it's a different, It well, it it covers completely and it has a white thing on. on but is the, the, is the face covered or the face is? Yes, it is with the white, with the white thing. Ugh, it's called yashmak. Anyway, yes, the face is covered. But, but at the same time, if you want to cover the woman to protect her in, in the idea of, that time 200 years ago um then the they they, the woman stays at home she doesn't go to school she doesn't work outside the home and this is the whole idea the package of cover protect now when when the egyptian women took to the street and took off this veil this this yashmak and veil and expose their hair, expose their faces, and they also um, demanded the right to vote, the right to go to school, and the right to work um, side by side with men. They started wearing the European clothes of the time, the um, the fashion of the time, and that was it. They, nobody objected on religious grounds. And this is how the uh, women's liberation movement started. And the man learned to accept the woman, respect her, not go crazy and drool if he saw her hair, uh, <laughs> not faint if he saw her arms. or so, and, and, and this developed a culture of mutual respect. Uh, when this veil came, uh, when the veil idea came, um, the implicit agreement that a man cannot control himself, so you got to cover up, uh, otherwise he'll, you know, go crazy and attack you, and it's your fault. <laughs> this honor, uh, uh, attaching the honor to what the woman wears, attaching the modesty to the clothes and not to the action, just completely corrupted the morals of the youth. And and in Egypt right now, it's the second highest sexual assaults in the world mm-hmm. when it was mm-hmm. negligible at the, uh, before. I definitely so, think that, um, I can- that covering and having less exposure to the opposite sex and even their body parts, they're simply like their ankles, their knees, their arms, their elbows, it definitely has a really negative effect, and I can see that in Pakistan too. I mean, we weren't a very overly hijabi and niqabi society either. Um, I remember seeing pictures of my grandma from when she was young. She was like out in public parks in like strapless yeah. dresses. That's right. And now you cannot even wear like a sleeveless dress. Yeah. So things have really changed. It's and- the same thing in Egypt from 0% hijabis in in the 1970s and up until 80 82 to right now it's over 95% even the christians are wearing it because they're scared mm-hmm. and but i mean man, also christians have always worn the hijab it's just a different type like nuns for example like very religious christian women always wore the hijab or even religious christian women no, always no, covered their hair no, so it's not no that's not true there was a cultural dress that everybody wore and this was before the women's liberation movement. It was a cultural dress. It had nothing to do with religion. And all the women in the country wore it. And in Turkey as well. And but it's in actually Iran. in the Bible. 
Well, let no. me just say that no, I'm in, sorry. among no, Christians, it is no, I've no read the Bible. Christianity. <laughs> no, no it, I it mean, is. come on. Hijab and Christianity? Are you kidding? Yeah, it asks women to cover their hair. Like I've, I mean, I've read the Bible. Like but I'm for, not okay. Like, for what reason? For for modesty I mean, like, reasons? Um, it, it does. I don't usually think that that like spells out exactly why everyone why does, should. Why does in any it? case, even if there is, they're not doing it now because mentally and and socially they've come forward into their thinking separating the woman's sexuality from her clothes, respecting mm -hmm. the woman for her actions, not for what she's wearing. Well, well, that's exactly why a lot of Muslim women choose to wear the hijab. It's because it takes away that focus on how the way that a woman looks and forces okay, people but to if judge you want to cover, you cannot be in public. If you want to cover, you cannot be in public. Why this, not? Why can't I be in little, public? Okay, okay, let's... Let's take a step back. Let's go back to the burkini. And uh, Sarah, let's talk about your piece a bit, because you spoke about how once upon a time you were someone that valued modesty and um, thought, and you even wore the hijab before, right? Briefly? Just for, just for a brief amount of time, and I did it by choice. Right. Like it wasn't, by choice, what I mean is to say, of course, I was in a Muslim community, in a Muslim society, my parents were Muslim, my family's Muslim, so, you know, it, it, it made sense to me that this was something that I should do, and it, I, I hope that it said something about me as a person. And I think that's what's important, and we touched on that a little bit. I think uh, I actually found that conversation, <laughs> just the one you two were having, Hala and Hoda, I thought it was very interesting. Um, I think the most important bit is that it's not you know, unrelated to sexual assault, and I'm glad that that was brought up somewhere in there that, you know, it doesn't really protect women from, from assault. And if it means something, uh, that a woman chooses to dress a certain way, if it says something about her character, um, even a positive thing, you know, then it necessarily means something, um, to take it off and necessarily says something negative about the woman that doesn't. So for me, when, you know, I, I, I put it on, I was praised, um, not by, uh, not by, you know, the American society necessarily, but by my Muslim community and my parents, you know, they were amused by it and they, you know, they thought it was, you know, a fine thing to do. Uh, what happened though, when I started to to dress in a more American, in a more Westernized context, you know, where, short sleeves, you know, capris. I didn't even wear shorts for a long time. Um, that's when I started receiving, you know, a funny looks and a, an abuse and people started distancing themselves from me and, you know, comments here from, from family States, members. Here in the United States, Sarah? Here yes. or, or where? Yes, here. From your own family and your own community, is that it? Yes, and I actually didn't oh. do it much in front of them. You know, I knew I knew what was what would happen if I went out in capris in front of uh, right. the community. So I didn't really, and um, my parents forbade me to dress a certain way in front of people we knew. So it was it was kind of like living a double life yeah. uh, for a long time until now. Now that I'm an open ex-Muslim, I mean, I'm uh, a lot of people have distanced themselves from me uh, on principle because of who I am and, and what I stand for. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that. You know, th that has to be a part of the conversation and that has to be considered yeah. because women mm -hmm. like me who, you know, choose to perhaps dress a different way, who choose to, you know, reveal a little bit more of, of their body and, and not really n not feel demeaned by it. Um, we should be, 
included, but we're kind of hidden away because it's sort of a shameful thing to be the, you know, the kind of person that I am. Yeah, it's so sad. It's so sad that to see the young generation, now you're probably my daughter's age, that it, the exact opposite is what is happening to you now. And this is what, when I talk about the Burkini and the fact that it, it is a symbol of a certain ideology that is harmful to the society, that we need to dissociate uh, and and I don't know whether we ban it or I don't know what is the best like, way to so do it. What I but feel it, like is Hoda? happening is that it's just Hoda? you're defining what liberation is to women. Like no, it's not, liberation is not wearing uh, uh, a cover. This, uh, this but that's is, not this for you is to a decide. Point. Let, no, me read, let me read it. It is absolutely is. It has been decided a long time ago. Because, but, and, and now in the, in the courts, if somebody said, I raped this woman because she was wearing a miniskirt, that will not be taken into account. Now, the woman is being respected for is, <laughs> who she is, not what she wears. This is not libera liberation from what? If I stood naked and, and people respected me, that is liberation. But, okay, if, but see, that's, that's for you. Like liberation no, and feminism no. is about by, what by it means for each individual standards. I'm sorry see, about that. now this is Orientalism. Okay, now can, I, can I just stop for a second to read um, a paragraph from Hala's article about the Burkini ban where she's very pro-Burkini ban. It is very difficult to understand the uproar caused by the French government's decision to ban the Burkini. This was a reaction to the chaos and turmoil caused by the Islamic fundamentalist sect in the Muslim world and in Europe. The fundamentalists are the ones who reject participation in the 21st century. They prefer to isolate themselves in 7th century ideas and dress. Despite that, no one is denying them the right to practice their religion in private. They don't have the right, however, to invade the public space and impose their ideology and belief system represented by their dress. Now, I agree with some parts of it, but I disagree with a lot of it too. But anyways, sorry to interrupt your conversation before I just wanted to put this piece out there as uh, the central uh, crux of what you're trying to get across mm -hmm. in terms of the burkini. Hoda, you were saying this is Orientalism. Can you expand yeah, on that a bit? Definitely. So Orientalism is basically this concept that the West uses to structure and view the East, um, particularly Muslims and Islam, for a very clear political purpose. And it's been, it's a historic concept that has been start like that has continued ever since colonialism began. And basically it creates this false dichotomy between modernization and modernism and traditionalism and like Islam. So anything that anytime someone becomes more religious, they're automatically less modern, which so is you, false because it's a linear time that we're working with. But it's like it's saying that nothing like okay, when you're done, I need right to answer that. Today, Anything that happens today right now is modern. Like you can't say that someone is living in the past because they're not, they're living today. And everyone comes with their different particular historical context. So there's a false dichotomy it's, that's created between the West and the East. But Sharia like, punishments that, are not modern just because they're happening today. But, 
but see, that's it depends on what, how you define modern. If you define modern as Western, like that's no, just I, false I mean, ideology that's coming together. Like, so what Orientalism does is basically it restructures the East, but the key part is it does it so without the consent or without the voice of the East. So it's talking for them. It represents them in a particular light. Um, so, for example, this whole Burkini ban is centered on that, and this whole idea of what you're talking about, um, Hala, with about um, you want you, you say that this is like oppressing women, but how can you say that women are being oppressed when they're choosing to do so? For, so for me, when people come up to me, let me help you liberate you and take off your hijab. Like, you know, I don't need people to speak for me. Like it's saying that I am not able to make my own decisions. It's saying that I, as a woman, do not have the mental capacity to make a choice for how I choose to dress. Um, and it's creating just a flat, it's creating, um, turning a symbol that has existed for centuries into just a flat um the huge monolithic idea that is different for every woman. There are billions Linda, of Muslims in the world. You're talking too much. Just I, I can't keep up with example, you. You have a lot of ideas that I need to answer. <laughs> and if this I mean, is going to be a okay. monologue, let's, then I, let's give Hala my a chance. Responses to what you've been saying let's before. Give Hala so a chance you to have respond. a lot of points. You made a lot of points and you keep moving from one point to the other. I cannot keep up with you. I okay. need to answer some of your points. Hala, please answer. It's a monologue, yes. for God's sake. <laughs> I mean, I, I had been writing these notes as you were talking, so that's why they are all coming out now because I was responding to all the points that you made earlier. What points? I'm, I'm okay. Let's just respond. <laughs> let's just respond to what she's talking about. Uh, Orientalism. This, this idea about the about how being modern is being Western, and this is exactly what the. The, the clergy, the old clergy who want to impose their own ideas keep saying all the time that I've been called a, a, a brown colonialist lackey. This is oh, the, I think we all, well, <laughs> I have too. This is the, I'll tell you, from the 7th century, this has been the first thing on their mouth to say they are uh, foreigners they are this is the Mautazila was were called also foreigners and coming with uh, foreign ideas because they studied Greek philosophy and these are not our norms we are the east are different from the west and that's that's just nonsense because whatever part of the world achieves any kind of uh, progress let's say in in uh, you don't say that medicine is a western invention we're just gonna keep taking our herbs no that doesn't happen so it, it human beings in general they move forward from they pick up from whoever made progress and they they continue together they do not keep holding on to 7th century ideas and clothes when we are in the 21st century, regardless of where this these new ideas about women's liberation and human rights, and well, regardless of all of that, where it came from, it is a progress for humanity, and we all join it. But can I, how, how, I didn't get how that was relevant. Can I, can I butt in? <laughs> because you... Please, please, Sarah, 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 please. Yeah, go ahead, Sarah. Sorry. Well, I it's it's interesting because I agree with, um, you know, I, I agree with both of you on some points and, mm -hmm. and not on others. On the on the one hand, um, well, I'm an ex-Muslim and I I have my private thoughts about what I believe the hijab means and generally I I think it's 
I, I think it is oppressive, and I would define it as oppressive, and that's the conclusion that I've come to. But I am anti uh, the the ban mm-hmm. uh, for some of the reasons that Huda mentioned, which is that you know for individuals it means different things, and there I I, I can't uh, make a claim that for all Western women it necessarily means the same thing. It could be people like her, like Huda. I mean. But I would, I would, I would categorize you though as somebody who's very privileged in Muslim communities. If if it is that you were, you know, truly very free to put it on, and mm-hmm. you don't feel a lot of coercion um, to put it on, but you may to take it off. Um, having said all that, the way I define women's liberation isn't that a woman is clothed or unclothed. It is just that she has the choice to do either. Exactly. And I think that's the Thank that's yeah. that's the main point that we should be focusing on. So in that sense, I can condemn Eastern societies for forcing a woman to put it on. And I can condemn Western societies for, you know, if they ever choose to force a woman to take it off. And I can equally condemn any coercive forces, um, that, that exist socially that, you know, especially within Muslim communities, I think they do. And I, and I do condemn them because I think that it, that's a very, um, that's a very important thing in the, lives of Muslim women in Western world. And I, I think we should dis- distinguish between the life of a Muslim woman in an Eastern country mm-hmm. and that in a Western country, because we're talking about the Burkini ban here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think I totally agree. And that's where a lot of, I was trying to articulate about what feminism is and what liberation is. And it, it should be up to the woman to decide like two men, whether he is a religious man or a secular quote unquote man at deciding and determining how a woman should dress when she goes to the beach is completely patriarchal and misogynistic. Um, and so like, that's exactly it. Like I, women should be able to, de- like, if you view personally that the hijab is oppression, like that's fine for you. Like you don't, have to wear it that's completely fine but then you can't you know like exactly you can't take that away from somebody well, else who you has still did not explain to me what does it mean to you you just but said why is that, that relevant it is relevant. it is relevant it is the whole idea because it is not the piece of cloth it is what it represents do you want to stand out as a muslim and tell everybody i'm a muslim so that's why you're wearing it are you ashamed of your body? So that's why you're wearing it. What? Why? Uh, my point all along. But you even, I think you quoted what I said I believed in when you no, said I, I asked you title when I was on Esther Namani. answer. Oh, but you already told me. You told me I why did. I wear it. Yeah, you said I no. heard on a panel with Esther No, Namani. that was me. That was me, Ina. Oh, sorry. I, I haven't distinguished the voices. <laughs> Right. So I asked, I wanted, before we started, I just asked you and I never got a real answer. Um, I, I don't, I still, because my, my, my piece that um, I, uh, I read from now was about the ideology itself. Um, not the piece of cloth, but what it represents. Um, and that's my whole issue. Um, I am from a generation that worshipped the women that came before us and gave us the opportunity to go to schools and, and universities and, and, and be on equal footing with a man regardless of what we wear and not to be judged by what we wear and not to be expected to cover in order to uh, make the man more comfortable. Um, and the men respected us just equally, regardless of what we wear. So the cover, to me, 
means going back to before the women's liberation movement. It may very and well I, be, but I mean, I just uh, where I disagree with you, Hala, is the is favoring the ban because even if it is well, the, the fundamentalist, is, I am the the problem is I, I you probably did not. I went through this before. I went through this idea before, and we said, "Oh, they are free to do whatever they want to oh. do. They are. They, if a woman wants to, and before, actually, in the eighties, the first people, the first women who started wearing it, were the economically underprivileged. So it was understood um, that, oh well, they cannot go to the hairdresser every week. They cannot change dresses and skirts." <laughs> So it was understood, and we kind of let it go. And now I wish we had taken a, a stronger stand because it, it, the situation, as it deteriorated over the past 30, 35 years in Egypt, uh, made, made me think that maybe, maybe if we had the foresight, we would have changed this. We would not have accepted it. Once it becomes part of the public domain, the idea itself becomes so accepted. And the next generation actually grows up like you guys thinking, oh, it's normal. It is not. No, no. I I grew up in Saudi Arabia and I've seen morality police uh, hit my mother's ankle. Oh, God. The thing is, when in the 70s, when I was a teenager, the Saudis and the uh, Gulf people used to come to Egypt, and in the airport, they would take off their... Oh, yeah, I remember that. They'd start they'd walk undressing. around in, in miniskirts yeah. and shorts and everything, um, and, and now the exact opposite. But here's the thing. Because I've grown up in a place that forces people to, to be a certain way, to dress a certain way, and especially this quote that, um, okay, so the mayor of Cannes issued an ordinance in late July forbidding beachwear that doesn't respect good morals and secularism. Uh, yeah, I've read that quote. <laughs> um, to me, that is a really disturbing kind of way to put it like this whole good moral thing it's reminiscent of uh, Islamists and I know this is not a comparison between how uh, France is like the Saudi Arabia all of a sudden it's not at all but I do not like I do not want to live in a world where people are forced to dress in a certain way or forced to undress or take off parts of their clothing Uh, also because I come at this as a person who has um for much of my young adult life, when I was in university, I dressed, um, I guess, in an alternative manner. So I wore like fishnets and dog collars and had blue spiky hair. And I remember those days. Oh, that's <laughs> lovely. This is your freedom of expression. My daughter does this all the time. Right. I get, I get shocked, but then I see uh, how uh, creative it is. And no, but then society does dictate that type of dress to a certain extent, right? Like if I went into a store, I'd get stares or people would like follow mm-hmm. me to the back of the store thinking I'm going to, I don't know, steal something because of the way that I look. <laughs> so I've experienced that. And in that way, I can understand uh, how someone who dresses differently, like maybe a hijabi would feel, even though it's completely the opposite. Um, but is that, but like, I, but I feel like just like that was your expression, like, why can't this be my expression? Like, why won't people let me be able to have this as my expression? Of course, like, they should let you. But this is the thing. Your choice comes with a burden where this is a practice that is used to oppress majority of women wearing it. 
you are privileged enough to have the choice, but you are continuing to use that choice to perpetuate this practice. I'm opposed to the practice, but mm-hmm. I always stand up for your right to wear it because um, it doesn't infringe on anybody else really rather than maybe being visually offensive or whatever. But, I mean, I stood up for Charlie Hebdo, so I, I certainly want to be consistent and say that we cannot ban things just because they're offensive. You know what I mean? I, I, let me just um, address something that Sarah said that I found very um, interesting to me, uh, that being an ex-Muslim. Um, when the kids in Egypt, uh, after the revolution a couple of years ago, discovered that this whole business about wearing the hijab and becoming religious was just a ruse in order to get to political power. Um, and they took to the streets and they um, they demanded um, that the um, Islamist president um, be removed and now they put the army. A lot of girls um, and boys, a lot of girls took off their scars and a lot of boys uh, became atheists and announced it. Mm-hmm. Um, because they all regarded this movement that started in the 80s as a way to control women and also to get some sort of power in the name of the religion to attain political um, standing in the country. Mm-hmm. And of course, and the- Iran, Iran you, can, you can say that. Um, yeah, but actually, it's funny that you mentioned Iran. Turkey. I was going to say the exact opposite happened in Iran prior to the revolution. So it was there's a period of mandatory unveiling in Iran mm-hmm. where women could not have a job. Um, they were un, they were not allowed to hold a government office if they wore the hijab because exactly like what you're saying, they had to look like a westernized quote unquote oh, subject in order to have a job. Shah? In order to be and yeah, in, under one of the shahs prior to the revolution, there was oh. a period of mandatory unveiling oh. and. Women, like even my grandmother, she was walking in the streets, an officer ripped off of her hijab, like violently ripped off her hijab because she was not allowed to wear it. And so exactly what you're talking about, the opposite mm. happens all the time. And I feel like we often fail to address that or fail to acknowledge this history also that all of these countries have. Oh, the same many thing I think happened with Kemele Tutuk in, mm-hmm. uh, in, in Turkey when he also, he just wanted to um, change the Turkish Ottoman old ways and, and bring Turkey into the 20th century. So um, I guess it's connected to the the leader's vision of progress. I don't know. But um, But see that I think that's Orientalist because like how can I say that oh I am stuck in the seventh century because I just choose to instead of wearing a scarf around my neck I decide to put it on my head and all no, of but where does that come from? Based on religion, where does it come from? That scarf, it what it is religion. It is not. Oh, we can talk about that about any part of our clothing. Like so many things are coming from historical like places. Or for example, the Jewish kippah. Like that is a historical symbol. Of, I wouldn't say it's the most symbol. modern symbol either. I would like we should. But why? Do, why do we never tell? For example. Jewish men who choose to wear that take it off. You look like you're from the seventh century. Because he's not wearing it because he's scared I'm gonna jump him if I saw his head. 
I'm not wearing it because I think men are going to jump for me. <laughs> but see, well, again, I'm think, saying you're defining a symbol that well, for so many different women means different things, and you can't just create or flatten symbols that have such significance. You guys say it is modesty, so you cannot say it's modesty. But you guys, like, again, around. you're drawing very broad generalizations. It's very true. Broad. So what do you think, then, because you haven't, so, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you that it means different things for different people, possibly, and I'm, I'm willing to buy that, but and you're telling us what it doesn't mean for you. You're sort of, you know, bristling against, you know, certain definitions. But then what what does it mean? You know, and I think okay, that's, well, that's the first step. Yeah. So, I, I mean, again, I think it means different things for different people. So I don't want the reason that I wear it to become the new norm that, you know, for all women wearing for the same reasons. But again, as so I guess it so whoever mentioned it earlier, I wear it because it is for me. Um, I like to wear it to kind of not... Uh, focus on the way that my looks should um, inform people's judgments about me. But you're a fashion um, blogger. Yeah. Again. Yes. Again. You're, you're just quoting. Look, exactly you're killing what, me, baby. I, I, I'm sorry that for you, um, fashion is a very static and. If, uh, something it's that has no static. value but for me you it has have, something that has no, value I, I want you to can have you can you can be not focused on outward experiences and find fashion to be a very beautiful like powerful tool of communication they are not at all um mutually exclusive and i'm sorry that you see them that no way. no i don't i mean as i told you i dress in a very uh i guess uh, in a way that was different to most people and I did use it as a tool of expression and a tool of communication but I, I'm i not the one here saying that I want to focus on not outward things and not uh, you know outward beauty I guess well, I'm not, I'm not saying even like I think so. I, I so the way that I dress and the way that I choose to present myself is for myself. You know, like I choose to wear things because I think um, something looks good, or I think either like I wear a lot of clashing patterns all the time. So, you know, are they, you wearing the hijab because you think it looks good? No, I wear hijab because, again, like I mentioned three sentences or four sentences ago, because it helps me focus on or just remind me constantly that it's not about the way that I look. Like it helps me focus on things that are more important. Fashion, so on the other hand, is, is a powerful form of communication. Do you think it's religious or a fashion statement? That's, but I think that's, that's my the, point. It's very, well, I, I don't want think to know that. But I think, so if you let me finish my sentence, I would love to answer you. Um, but do. I think that's exactly what my religion is asking me to, and your religion um, as okay. a Muslim, but that's my opinion. Yeah. Again, like I'm no, not going to say that. not my religion, I'm sorry. This so, is I, your I, interpretation. I oh, but okay, then let me finish. I'm just saying, as a Muslim, this is what I believe Islam is. Okay, I'm not going to f- create a flattened symbol like you are, but I'm saying that for because me, Because it's Islam a matter focus, of history. But, okay, but see, if well, you're going to ask me a question, let me finish it. Okay, so, please go. Um, so, for me, again, Islam does not want people to be focusing on material things, on the media, on outward experiences, but kind of more on knowledge and understanding um, and things like this. So I think it's very directly linked to religion, but it doesn't, it's not just to like, so we're hiding from men. Like, that's absolutely absurd. Like, I'm a feminist. Like, that would be ridiculous. But didn't you, ta- um, didn't you say modesty? Sarah, Sarah. I never said the word modesty. Number one. I'd love to hear your thoughts on uh, the fact that it's linked to religion, but not necessarily from religion. Well, I think it, this is a, this back and forth. It's just I have so many things to say, but I don't want to butt in because it's just everyone's just all these points flying everywhere. But um, <laughs> I think so the way that I would interpret what 
what Huda was saying, which is to say how I what what I would have meant if I was a fashion blogger who was also a hijabi. Um, I wouldn't necessarily be that. Um, you know, I'm trying to be as charitable as possible to to her understanding. I would say that. Um, well, I I wear the hijab because I don't necessarily want. Um, not not that I don't want any focus at all on appearances because, you know, obviously aesthetics are interesting and can be stimulating and, you know, not related to beauty, but not necessarily about beauty. Um, but I don't want to be sexualized. That's what I, that's what I would have said. Um, and that's how I did interpret the hijab, which is not to say that I, that I can't be pretty necessarily, but I can't be sexually alluring, which is sort of a different, a kind of a different, um, conversation. And mm-hmm. I think that, that, that I think a lot of hijabis would, and I don't know about Huda, I'm not speaking for her, but I think a lot of hijabis would agree with that, that, that it's the sexual allure part. That's sort of what, what they don't want. And I think it's perfectly fine for an individual to not want that, but then you have to, you must simultaneously say that the women who, who don't dress a certain, this way aren't, you know, asking for it because I think that that just that's a logical conclusion of that thought process Mm -hmm. if you say that you know I'm wearing it because you know I don't want this sexual kind of attraction then then you 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 must say but let's not lead to this next step which is essentially slut shaming um or or you know victim blaming so let's Mm -hmm. let's not go there and that's what I would like to see because I'm an ex-Muslim who stood for hijabis to keep it on and you know it can mean what it means to them I'll speak out against that symbol and I'm free to do so. And I would, I would hope that they would also speak for, for me and women like me and say mm-hmm. that, well, they're not, you know, they are not modest, but this doesn't mean X, Y, Z for them, which is why I think it's so important. Definitely. To, but here's the thing. Yeah, I, do, and I think that's so important because like, but we have to also acknowledge that that sort of conversation that kind of, she asked for it, which is absolutely awful. is happening in the United States all the time. Like I just graduated from the university of Chicago and there we would constantly see like rape cases. But it's not a well, it's not to sexually it's assault. That constantly, they would be like, "Oh, she asked for it." So I'm not saying that like yeah, I, I'm but no, nobody's doing you know, like, something about it in order to stop it in terms of covering women up. It's not an I mean, no one's doing argument. anything about that in the United States. In fact, if this no, 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 it's against the court. No, no. If you go to the rapist at the Stanford case, did got off. In fact, the father sent a letter saying, "Oh, my poor son," and yes, then he but, got less. So, that's, but here's like, the thing: we're against it. it. I'm not familiar with that, but I know that the courts are not going to accept she is wearing this, so she was asking for it as a defense. That I, think, I can guarantee right. you. I don't but, know the you know, specifics the of the case of that you're talking about. Massive in the United States. I mean, like, as many of my friends who have been raped um, for the fact that they, or, like, that's how it's perceived. Like, in the University of Chicago, it's constantly like, well, what was she wearing? You know, that's always but, usually the first but question. But do you not see the link to that and modesty clothing? Do you not see that this helps and to I'm perpetuate that? Pandemic. I don't think that wearing or, like, women choosing to dress modestly necessarily makes other women like brings that culture. I think it's a patriarchal culture that forces women to wear a specific thing. I'm hundred percent against yeah, that, which religion. is why again, I also condemn mandatory hijab. Like I, as I mentioned in the beginning, I also condemn mandatory unveiling. Yeah, but that's I think really that's like a basic, <laughs> like someone no, saying, I Oh, I condemn Trump. Like that's really the most obvious thing that you can condemn. You got to go a step beyond that, though, because you are doing your part in keeping this practice going. 
but I also like, like, as I mentioned, like, this is like, I am constantly saying that I think that feminism and liberation is based on one woman's choice. So for me, that's for me. Let me finish. For me, it's wearing, choosing to wear a headscarf. For another woman, it's choosing to wear the bikini, and that is 100% okay with me. Okay. And I'm going to fight for that woman's right to wear whatever she wants because that's her choice. That's but what you see that the religion that you follow does not fight for that right because b- modesty is recommended. Bikinis are not compatible with Islam. But I mean, I I think it's unfortunate that there are communities that look down upon the bikini, but also not just Muslim communities. It's a right. larger. But, so, but I, and I think that's. But that's, we're all Muslim background women, so we're going to talk about our experiences and the religion we were born into, because it's the most familiar, right? So mm-hmm. saying that you stand up for women in bikinis, but you practice a religion that doesn't stand up for women in bikinis. In fact, condemns them and asks them to be modest. Uh, you know, it just, it's very contradictory. And then this idea that uh, no sexualization, and that's why people wear the hijab. However, I think it's actually sexualizing people um, because, I mean, it's drawing attention to the idea, especially when they put it on kids. I mean, it's, to me, it's the equivalent of putting them in a shirt that says slut or something. You know, it's that distasteful. Right. I find it, I find putting it on children pretty pretty bizarre especially young you know babies you'll see four-year-old yeah, girls yeah. With a hijab and I, I don't but understand I, that at all I think it's I think it's also kind of a ridiculous claim to say that I am kind of encouraging or kind of helping to create a culture that slut shames women whereas we're not talking anything about how horrible like the porn industry directly does that you know like me how can like it's not religious when it's but backed by I'm religion saying. it's exactly. a totally different beast but that i mean that you can't say that my choice to wear one thing like i am directly responsible through my own choice to dress myself is hey, going listen. to like, change other way then why don't do we also say you, okay wait do you do believe we also that say god that? mandated it do you believe do we, that do okay. you believe that god mandated it can i finish my sentence before you interrupted me well, now I forgot what I was going to say. Okay. Can you answer me? I don't because believe hijab is You keep talking no. about choice. Well, the thing I is, it's so vague that it, it, there are many different interpretations of Islam, too. And we can see right on this panel here, we have uh, Hala, who interprets Islam completely differently and says she's a devout practicing Muslim, but is for the burkini ban. And then we have you, who is, uh, you know, someone who stands up for bikinis and enjoys fashion, but also wears the hijab. And that would be completely different from someone who kind of preaches modesty and wants it enforced on other people there's so many different ways that people practice islam so exactly. I, I, I think totally that's get the moral that. of the panel no, is that there's there a plurality is, no. of religion there's a plurality of views there's a plurality but it's one liberation no, but the one that wears like, the hijab says Sarah? that god says the hijab As i think you just asked someone who wears the hijab and the person who just wears the hijab. And you exactly didn't answer. And you didn't answer. I know, answer. I did answer. Let's give Sarah twice. a chance to speak because I feel like she's being very polite and Go holding ahead, back. Sarah, Go ahead, Sarah. You're wonderful. <laughs> Sorry. Well, <laughs> thank you, um, Ina, <laughs> for like holding my hand. But um, <laughs> I think I mentioned this a little bit earlier and I, I, I want to bring this conversation back to this. It's It's... We have to be able to separate individual experiences from aggregate. And I think it's perfectly fine to say that Huda was, um, you know, empowered in her in her putting on the hijab and that there are many women who are. But can we at least acknowledge that in the aggregate, 
um, in many Muslim communities, far too many Muslim communities, um, there is too much of a pressure to, you know, define yourself by by what you're wearing, and, and it definitely defines to the extent to which you're a religious person. And I think that's where Hala's question about, you know, a, does the religion mandate it comes into play? Because would a would would the average hijabi say that a woman who doesn't cover is practicing her religion uh, just as well or as well as she is? You know. Yeah, it's I, it's very disingenuous for me um, to to take this argument into it's a fashion statement. It's just like a ring or an earring mm-hmm. or a or a bracelet. I, I can put it on or take it off whenever I want with no consequences. That's not how it is. I agree. With and Hala. with the children, with the children, they tell them if you don't if you don't wear it, you're gonna go to hell. God wants you to do that. And then they say it's a choice. How is it a choice? And you say it's mandated by God. See, I think that goes back to our first discussion when I said that for me and for many other Muslims and the countless statistics and surveys that prove this in the United States, there's a larger um, push for Muslim women to be taking off the hijab than putting it on, especially in a lot of Western countries. I will never tell you take it off. Okay. Thank you. Here's the thing: people don't understand. You're not like the society, you know. Like by saying that, you know, like this is my experience is also like not an individual. I'm saying like this is proven by statistics, surveys. Like countless communities are coming out and saying these things. Like it's it shows that yeah, I agree that there is pressure to wear it, but there's also pressure to take it off. Surveys are saying that there's more pressure for people to take off the hijab than put it on. And, well, and no, I'm surveys that not take honor brigades into consideration. Honor brigades. Yes, we can't. We can't. Mean we girls. When we come on, when we talk about, they're um, organized. Okay. Well, I'll just let you finish oh, since well. you're not letting me finish. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Are you sure? Are you sure? All right. Just this time. <laughs> wow, you're so kind and generous. Thank you. Yeah, that's me. So when we're talking about um, pressures or society, we have to be specific about where we are talking about this, okay? We have to be very specific. In Iran, my research shows, many other things that I've been reading, many other countless um, scholarship shows that there is pressure for women to be taking it off amongst young people. But that is not comparable to the pressure to put it on. That's all I'm saying. But it, it is, though. Like, if you go to Iran and you walk around, more women have the hijab dangling around their shoulders, just, like, not wearing it the way that the government wants it, than women are wearing it the way that the government wants that's it. That's not because of pressure. That's because of a natural desire to want to feel the sun in your hair or something. <laughs> I mean, have you seen this page called My <laughs> Stealthy Freedom? I have seen it. Yes, I have. I mean, don't you think that speaks to a certain type of pressure? Like... That's being put on women in Iran where they have to make a Facebook page where they're posting pictures of themselves taking their hijabs off. I mean, I, I, I'm okay, I'm just refuting the point that in every single situation and under every single like part of the world, there is more pressure for Muslim no, women. No, no, no. I never said hijab. every single but, situation. I mean, like, but when you're saying there is a pressure period, it's a very general statement that is automatically applied when we don't specify where you're talking about or what group of people. No, I mean, on the whole, in the world, in the world, on the whole, there is more pressure to put the hijab on, to put modesty covering on for Muslim women than there is to take it off. I mean, that is a true statement. This cannot be refuted at all. But however, however, (laughs) 
Um, I agree with you in terms of women having the choice. As I said, I don't agree with Hala being um, pro burkini ban, even though uh, whatever that swimsuit. You know, growing up in Saudi, we had a uh, we lived in a compound. It was a Western compound for a long time. There weren't even Saudis allowed in my compound, so we would swim freely, doing whatever. Women would bathe topless. Uh, at the pool in my compound, and then slowly, slowly, Saudi Saudis were starting to be allowed in to live into to live in our compound, and then compound life changed all of a sudden. Women used to be able to drive; all of a sudden, they weren't allowed to drive, and then they started segregating. Ridiculous. Yeah, they were segregating swimming timing. So, I mean, women had a time to swim, and then men had a time to swim, and then it was like a family time to swim. And then we started seeing more and more Islamic swimsuits. Like, I would never even look at the schedule. Like, I would just go swim because I'd swim a lot. So, I mean, sometimes I'd have to leave because it was the guy's time. And, uh, you know, it really upset me because I, I wasn't used to that at all. But then in the women's time, I'd see all these, like, burkinis still, right? And I'm, I guess it's because even though it was women's time, there was a male lifeguard around. And it was something that was foreign to me growing up in Saudi Arabia. It was strange. Um, I mean, it, it's just a weird thing to see coming out of the water. If you ever see it, it's not very practical. <laughs> it looks like a choking hazard. And there's water. No, I, I just want to be completely clear. From a fashion standpoint, the only complaint I have about the burkini is that it could look much more aesthetically more pleasing um, right but, but I don't know how you would make a but isn't it confining is it, have you, who tried it did anybody try it no, is I it suffocating I mean obviously women choose to wear it and go bathing so but also there's a the thing know. of the water right even though it's loose and stuff once you start coming is out, it loose it's in the beginning it's loose and then you get in the water and oh, then it all sticks and then it to sticks. you it seems okay. even to is not it like a wetsuit, like like the diving wetsuit? It's not oh. elasticated like that. You should have brought someone on this panel who actually wears the bikini. I, I, I did. I did. <laughs> what I do tried. you think? Did you wear it? Oh, that. No, I've never worn it. No, I tried oh. with five different women or six maybe that wear a hijab and some of them wore a burkini. I can't tell you how many times I was rejected, politely, but rejected because I always wanted to be upfront about the fact that I'm ex-Muslim and I want to have this conversation. So, you know, thank you so much for being open to having this conversation because if we don't have these conversations, we're not going to get anywhere. And, um, I mean, six women said no to me. So, here we go. I'm glad we have someone that has some experience wearing religious modesty clothing. But, I mean, here's the thing. There's so many reasons women wear the hijab, as we were talking about before, right? And so there might be Definitely. so many reasons women wear burkinis, too. So, I... I do get a bit annoyed at the people on Twitter telling me, well, you know, um, this is a symbol of Islamism and we must ban it because they're forced into it. And I mean, there could be people with body body image issues. There could be people um, that are, this is the only way they get out. They, if they had a choice, they wouldn't wear it. So why not give them that chance? I think the, the word choice, it's, it's an interesting word. I mean, what do we really mean by choice? I mean, it's true, we, right? It, it's it's hard to define exactly what that means. And in a Muslim context, and in a context where you know the the community is is so powerful, it's such a powerful um, influence on how you choose to behave in a close knit 
um, sort of usually isolated communities that Muslim that Muslim communities are. I think it choice is a very uh, you know it's a very interesting term, and it's not as clear exactly how much choice you have anything to do one one way or another. Having said that. We still have to legally say that that it is a choice because we cannot we cannot say that um, because you are strongly socially coerced to do X, uh, we, we will we'll, yeah. we will free you by taking it off mm-hmm. because you could say that about you could say that about you know hundreds thousands of things that parents do to children you know mm-hmm. you could there's so many things that that parents force their children to do one way or another and you could you could call all of that coercion and you can call many of much of it harmful to them you know in if you if you wanted to make that case. But what, you know, what place does the state have to make that distinction and and Mm -hmm. should they be making it? And I would argue, I would argue no. But having said that, um, I think it's, it is uh, something to, it is something that concerns somebody like me when you see, you know, many more women I saw after, after 9-11, I saw many more women that started to cover in general Mm -hmm. than um, before. You know, I, I noticed that even uh, women in my family, I noticed that suddenly people started to put it on. And it, it is something that concerns someone like me, because I think that there are, there are, whether or not, you know, one or two people out of 10 think that it means something different. Many people do think it has to do with uh, modesty. And that has practical consequences as, you know, uh, religiosity increases within the community, unless someone's willing to say, you know, or, or stand for and and say, you know, this doesn't make any sense. This doesn't free any free women. Um, but as, so I agree that it's a, it's a problem quote unquote, but I, the way that I think that it should be handled, you know, so I agree with Hala, which I I agree with what it represents. Mm -hmm. I, I, I agree with her. That's the conclusion that I've come to as well. That generally speaking, that's what it means on a broader societal scale. Having said that, I don't agree with her of how we should handle it. I think we should, you know, tackle it at its root, which is to say that a lot of these women, I mean, Huda is here and she believes it means certain things. So if I wanted to convince her that this wasn't the right way, I would, I would have a discussion, you know, I would talk about it and I would try and convince her and persuade her to my point of view. And I think that is the, that is, you know, the best way of handling this situation if you think it is a situation that needs to be handled. Well, forcing her won't change her mind. No, Absolutely. I, mean, I, I, mean, I wouldn't I want to convince her one way or the other. She's free, and I definitely believe in her freedom to do whatever she wants and, and to wear whatever she wants and to believe in whatever religious um, interpretation she likes. But what I'm saying is that this is a religious belief based on whatever, uh, fundamentalist or whatever. They're free to believe what they like. However, experience has shown in the past 30 to 35 years that practicing this on a larger scale in any society brings the woman, demeans the woman and gives uh, an implicit okay for men to attack her sexually. So it is a harmful ideology that we do not want to mix in public in this day and age. But I'm also against I mean, uh, anti-Muslim bigotry and, and, and hijabis. Uh, here's another thing. To say that this people who oppose this are Islamophobic is just also inaccurate. Yes, I Why? agree. I agree with because that. Because they are not. I mean, the, the hijabis are one sect with a strict interpretation of Islam, they do not represent all Muslims. So if 
it is a phobia. But then you're representing all of us as one single being. No, no. If anybody, you just said we all have a strict imper- interpretation of Islam. You it just is. said that nobody would be a flat ever came up interpretation. Nobody of, like, ever came all up of our this, interpretation uh, with of Islam. this hijab okay. except this sect that came out in the 1980s. This never existed before. No, the hijab definitely existed prior no, to the 1980s. No, if it existed, it was a cultural dress. It was not a religious dress. It was a cultural dress worn by everybody, Muslims, Christians, and Jews at the same time. We had Jews, and Morocco had Jews, and they all dressed in the same way. But another thing we need to talk about... Not religiously. ...is the uh, persecution and the harassment that hijabis do face. Um, I don't think that banning this will curb that. That's what I'm... I don't know if banning it is that... I don't know. If it's effective, if it, I don't know, but all I well, know as we is saw, that it cannot mix with, it, all I know is that you cannot make it part of the everyday scene, you cannot make it an accepted, just like all of your, like you just they told me ban the you'll, you'll be okay with me and my choice to wear it, but you just said it can't be at a public yes. scene, so clearly you're just saying I can't wear it in public. No, you cannot. You, you, you just because yeah, it's, so exactly. It's a harmful, <laughs> you are affecting my choice. Just to wear. like the swastika, the swastika by law is banned all over Europe. I think that's wrong. Yeah, I, I wouldn't I agree wrong. with that. You guys are crazy. I, You're nuts. I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, because then where does it stop? Like, just because one group of people have a view that's different than yours doesn't mean you have to ban everything no, else. That's fascism. No, that, that's no, the definition is, of fascism. There, there are ideas that are destructive to the society. Based on who? Like, you can't just, like, these are all your opinions. Like, I have other ideas that I think other people's views are destructive to society, but that doesn't mean I'm going to ban them from no, anything that political. Anything that encourages rape or mass murder is it definitely uh, I think well, it's a destructive it's, idea. I mean, I, all right, you hold can't on, say you guys. No. Hold on. I'm older. I'm going to pull rank here. <laughs> what if a Roma... You know, the road, the gypsies came back and said, oh, we believe in our old tradition of community property. We frown upon personal property. And from here on in, we're going to go and shoplift whatever we want. Will this be an accepted ideology? Here's the difference, though. When okay. it starts to impact somebody else, like I am... Um, I guess, more on board with what you're saying when it comes to the niqab. And this is the thing that's frustrated me about this burkini discussion is that people seem not to grasp the nuances, right? So either they've seen that I'm opposed to religious modesty clothing, but then that I'm also opposed to the ban. People don't understand how you can be both. And it's really so simple. You can be opposed to an idea intellectually, and you can also uphold the rights for... Uh, the women that abide by this religious code. You can be opposed to it while also being opposed to a ban. Do you understand? Like, it doesn't have to be one or the other. No, I understand. And I'm not saying that the ban is 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 definitely uh, the way to go, but I, I just do not want this religious um, garb that causes. But then this ban will encourage people and make them feel like they're dissenting and they're martyrs and they're victims and as I you would say, have, I would well, if it, let me let, let's put the you, uh, Jewish the Jewish orthodox women. They wear their own strict 
uh, cover-ups, but at the same time, they stay in their own little world, and the same thing should go for the Muslims who wear their job. So, so you're saying Sarah, women who because, choose to wear particular yes. should be oppressed and stay only within not their oppressed, homes? You said you, they shouldn't come in the public sphere? Is that Rhoda, not the most you like, patriarchal? From the okay, society. we're all talking at like, the same that's ridiculous. time. It is Sarah, you, you said something in the your middle. idea of separating yourself from the 21st century. We're not like nobody's gonna understand this. That's the problem. When you both speak at the same time, it's just like wasted conversation, right? Um, Sarah, you were saying something. You said you would have put it on? I said I, I mean if if it had if somebody had banned yeah. uh, banned me from wearing the hijab uh, when I was younger, mm -hmm. I would have I would have put it on in protest. I would yeah. have been one of those women that would yeah. have said, you can't tell me what to do yeah. and I'll do this. Yeah. And I, I would have done it just for, for that point and nothing else because I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm quite a contrarian, but yeah. I think that, you know, we're, we're talking about two different things and I want, it's very important that we address them separately. So it's one thing to talk about whether or not hijab is a destructive symbol exactly. or not. And it's another to talk about, okay, if it is a destructive symbol, how is it that we as a society handle this? And I think that no matter what you do not, if you disagree with the, with, with a symbol, um, you Banning it does nothing because it is a symbol. It stands for an ideology, and it's that ideology that you have to dismantle, that underpins that symbol. That's and that's true. the important thing. And if you force women to take it off, all you're doing is – so if I was um, – so I have some family members who are you know, a little bit more extreme. So I'm a lot of women I know whose, whose, uh, whose families are a little bit more extreme. If, if they had been forced to take off their uh, hijab or you know, not – not wear a burkini or whatever it is, then th that would just be a, a f somewhere that they could now not go. And they would just be a little bit more secluded, a little bit more hidden. There's many ex-Muslim women too who are... Uh, who have to pretend to be Muslim for the sake of their safety or, or, or until they find financial independence from their family. And those women or questioning women or whatever it is, liberal women, uh, they have to put it on and they have few freedoms. And if we say that this symbol or anyone with this symbol is no longer welcome in the public space, then you're essentially saying that these women have to be excluded. And I, 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 think that that is just the exact wrong way to go about it because I think it's very important that Muslim communities are integrated well into mainstream societies, that they uh, have relationships and, um, you know. You're right. You're right. But I think that they have excluded themselves. Nobody I, excluded I, I think them by not joining the 21st century and insisting on a very uh, strict religious um, dress with sexual connotations, they themselves have separated themselves. But they Sweden, are, they are the ones... Sweden, you what? mentioned this in regards to France, whereas France has a history of centuries of brutal colonialization and imperialism with Morocco and Algeria. And so it, yeah, it's not even just like colonialism they, again. <laughs> because we can't strip histories and context from particular current... You want history? Well, but, and let's connected. talk about the hijab it's history in Saudi Arabia. Do we think that France, this is really like a colonialist ploy for right. France to no. <laughs> oppress exactly. Muslims? Let's go back to the colonial brown people. Okay, now, now when we, this is the thing about um, the different degrees of it, right? People 
um, seem to either think that niqabs should also be a completely free choice, which I disagree, because then it starts to impact other people's safety and security. I've been very vocally anti-niqab and not necessarily pro uh, complete ban but I think partial bans are definitely very reasonable in terms of ID or in schools or at the workplace because you come on like the bare minimum you got to do is see somebody's face at work or while driving or in in court um, what do you think Hoda about the niqab and possibly asking people to show their face in certain places yes yeah, so I think the the burqa ban um, and the niqab ban actually comes, um, it it seems like it has led the way for what we see now with the burkini ban. Because once you start, that initial start of limiting women's choice and audit autonomy over you know their where own bodies, where uh, do no. we stop? Wait, you, can, hold on. See, again, every time I start speaking, she interrupts me. Like, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> you know where that started, though? It started with the niqab. That's what's limiting women's choices, though. That's one thing you're failing to call out here. So you're saying oh, there's no sane woman in this world who chooses to wear the niqab. Is that what you're saying? Chooses? Um, uh, there's no non-extremist woman in my mind that would choose to wear the niqab. No. But I've... But... But you can't just like say that because there's so many women who do choose that. What are okay? I've seen hijabis choose it for identity reasons. I've seen hijabis choose it because they're having a bad hair day. I've seen women <laughs> wear the hijab because they've gained weight. I, I honestly have. And then when they lose weight, all of a sudden it's like the hijab has come off and they're wearing like spaghetti strap tank tops. And then if they gain weight again, the hijab is back on. It's <laughs> Very strange. I've seen hijabis. But I mean, like that's what I'm saying. Like it's it's a woman's choice how but she should be able to relate and how she should be able to cover and when she chooses to cover when she chooses to take off her clothing. It's her choice. Yes. And that's what feminism is. That's what autonomy over your body is at the end of the day. And that's okay. what I think we should all be fighting but, for. But you can't it's, it's, choose to put other people's security at risk, though. I mean, your choice has to stop when it starts to impact other people. But it doesn't put, like, the amount, the percentage of women in France who wear the niqab or burqa is incredibly small. And of those, how many times has there been... Principle: The principle of a woman getting able to being able to choose how she dresses and cover no, herself. Her face. No, the principle of a dress harming the society and and causing uh, un, unnecessary uh, panic. Whatever. It's, 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 not, it's, it's any, not safe. If I can just quickly comment on that, like. That you are now making women's bodies responsible for for representing the morality of society, which is the exact same thing that you're fighting against in Saudi Arabia, saying that, um, for example, a woman needs to be covered in order to show that her society is moral. Exactly that. I'm not talking about morality. I'm talking. Who said said morality? You said said it. I said safety. Society. I said safety. Relevant to the society. So by saying that women should now be the flag bearers. No, no, it's nothing to do with women, though. You know how many men have put on the burqa and committed robberies and terrorist acts? It's happened in Pakistan and it's happened in Toronto. Uh, We've had a jewelry store robbery where the people were in burqas. But see, like it's, for example, in France. Actually, so this is not necessarily big, about women. This is about not allowing people constant anonymity, constant. But see, like that. But it's not the thing about France in particular is that it's not across the board. See, for example, right now, 
in France on the beaches specifically, a lot of Chinese women are wearing masks called like face skinnies or something like that that look exactly <laughs> like ski masks. Okay, you look up pictures like it, exactly like a ski mask. They're covering their face because they don't want their face to get any darker because they, you know, a lot of um, Chinese cultural images of beauty are someone who has a very light skin. Why has that never been a problem? No, Why is I that also not coming under attack? Like it's a very particular. It's like a group of people. It's also women. So I would be against that court, too. It comes with Oriental colonial baggage it comes with imperialist baggage it also comes with misogynistic baggage and I think that's all working together like we cannot strip colonial this is from the seventh century arguments the, the colonialism <laughs> yes. it's like you're telling no it's like you're telling black people in the United States to forget that they were enslaved like that's that's because it led to a very particular economic situation, which leads to very different things. But Hoda, what what wait, else wait. is enslaving a group of people here? It's this black body bag. Why do you not? Why do you not <laughs> talk about that? At first, I was like, "What are you talking about?" It's like, who's wearing black? <laughs> Look, I, so I draw that distinction. Can you can you see that there's a difference between asking women to remove their hijab? I'll respect their choice, but in a bank, asking a woman to remove her face covering or in a court where they need to see her face? I mean, can you not? I think, I think for legal procedures, for example, for an ID, I think it makes complete sense for someone to ask to see their face. What about now, a bank? Now, now, for me in the United States, when I was taking my passport photo, they refused to let me take my passport photo until I showed my ears, as if my ears will change or make or break the way that I look when I'm crossing no, this borders. Is, this is, um, they do that with everyone, though. Yeah, they yeah. are this really... Is like the I know, no, no, but I'm saying, like, that's what I'm this saying. This is like, like the feels... fingerprints, Yehuda. This is another thing, an my identifying ears, ears factor. It's an no, identifying your ears factor. Are not like your identifying factor. Nine out of ten photos of women, their no, hair is covering. This isn't their attacking ears. Like you. Like, I'm saying that we there this should be standards. Yes, they I won't say let me wear IDs. Should be able should show their face. That's an important part of being able yeah. and to recognize ears. But, they regard but, the ears as an identifying because nobody's ear. Your ears are different from mine. Everybody's they're like a fingerprint, and that's why they insist on showing the ear. And and you also have to tilt your face. Um, they I'm won't let you wear you, glasses if your okay. glasses reflect. They won't let you wear like a piercing stud if your stud reflects. They won't let you smile. This isn't really just yes. about attacking Muslims. Trust right. me. I used to but work did, at a place. But I, am. I did take my, eventually take my passport photo without my ears showing. And it's completely fine because I'm never going to be it. passing through customs. The, all, this is another thing. Sure. All of the but hijabis want to break the law and they want the society <laughs> to accommodate them. And that's another thing that I don't okay. like and I think are harmful to the Can society. I? You Sarah, all have got Sarah. to accommodate me. I'm not supposed to follow your rules in any way. You don't I, I want to understand this. Just Why? It's the way they wear a dress. It's simple. Okay, what? Sarah. Hi. Um, so <laughs> Hi. Welcome. I do think... So I... I there's an interesting point to be made about, you know, to what extent should we be accommodating religion? And I think it's fair to say that if we across the board say we are not going to accommodate religion at all, which is to say, you know, if uh, Sikhs can't, if, if, you know, Sikhs can't wear uh, Sikhs can't wear turbans and Muslim women can't wear hijabs, you know, and it's it's all, you know, on the same uh, playing field. I mean, I think that's like that's, France did no symbols, I, no religious symbols at all. 
I this think, is yeah, what friends did. It, it, it's 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 fair to say that you know this rule applies to everybody, and it's fair to say that um, we you know we don't want face, but anywhere there isn't a ski mask, anywhere a ski mask would be very inappropriate, or people would be upset, or whatever it is at the, at the presence of a ski mask, uh, a face veil would also be inappropriate. If I was a store store owner, I wouldn't want a man in a ski mask to be coming in, and in the same way, I might not want a woman with um, a, a face veil coming in exactly. and i think that makes perfect sense and i don't think that has anything to do with a special religious discrimination it, it may impact a particular religion um, more so than other religions but that's irrelevant um the rules are rules and they, they they do protect everyone having said that i do think something like the burkini that's that's a, a special uh that it that uh like almost discrimination against Muslims. That's not a rule that yes. they made for everyone. That's one they made particularly for Muslims in order to counter Islamism, which is, I mean, of course it's ridiculous, but also it, that's a line that I can't stand by because I, I don't think that it should be, uh, you shouldn't accommodate them, but you also shouldn't target them, especially. Mm-hmm. Especially when well, like wetsuits are freely allowed and they cover pretty much the same amount of skin. So well I I'll, I'll I'll just say one thing from my experience when you accommodate this attire with this ideology it becomes part of the norm and it causes harm to the society by giving men the okay to assault women sexually because it's their duty to cover up themselves and if again. anything Oh, that's it. I, yeah, I, oh, I paused. I thought you were finished. Go ahead. I let you speak. I left you. <laughs> I know. I paused. I thought you were finished. I apologize. Go ahead. <laughs> I was taking my breath. I'm old. <laughs> okay. I, I lost my train of thought. Go ahead. So that makes Okay. So, um, yeah, what I was saying is I think that, again, blames women on the exact opposite side. So the same thing of going and saying, oh, no, I'm not like, blaming women. I'm blaming oh, see, religion. Now you interrupted religion. Religion. <laughs> religion. I'm, no, I'm correcting no, you. No, but you said. But I'm you blaming said that. the religion. I'm mm-hmm. blaming the ideology. I'm not blaming the woman. On you the contrary, I'm on suffer. the woman's side. I'm on the woman's side. I Except when they choose her. to cover themselves. Then you're no longer on the woman's side. You're on the men's no, no, side. No, I'm on her side. Them, them I'm off. on her side to assert herself and to tell the man, I could do whatever the hell I want to do, and you do not have the right to assault me, or I'm not supposed to cover because you're too, too weak to control yourself. Again, I never said that was the reason I wore the hijab. So, it is, I, but it is the it reason is. everybody else is wearing the hijab. Not so. But that is a reason so. that it's prescribed, though, right? Again, like I'm not, okay, so sure. There, I'm sure there are women who wear the hijab for that reason. The same but reason. But where do you think like, they I'm get sure the idea women, from? Let me finish. Let me. Finish. I don't know where you get those let women me from. Finish. Okay, so the same reason why other women choose to wear different things. Just like, for example, some women wear, you know, they they wear different things for different meanings. So exactly why we cannot say that. One religion prescribes this for a particular right when it is specifically not mentioned that you wear hijab in the Quran, wear hijab for this reason, period. That's not the reason. So it's up to run for No, the modesty, the modesty is mentioned. It is mentioned. And it's yeah, vaguely for men, mentioned. Women are both mentioned, yes. That no, is correct. But, but it, there is no definition. It's a general term. And what defines modesty in different times 
are different dresses. Yes, but they say something like... I am completely like, modest. I personally, I'm very, very modest. But why do you have I to wear, be? I wear, why are you modest? Why are, why are you, you modest? modest <laughs> what? Why do you dress modestly? I wear escada and I no, wear... why? Why? Because yeah. when I go to work. But if, if I go to a wedding, why? for example... Why do you want to dress modestly at work? Because that's the dress code. Well, yeah, I'm not asking them. This is the dress code, and I, I, I follow the dress code. I do not go in, uh, try to work as a stewardess, for example, and then say, I'm not going to serve alcohol. Let the other kids do it and, you know, pick up the slack mm -hmm. because of my religious duties. You know? If there is a dress code, I will confirm to the dress code. And... It, it's it, the modesty I guess I have as defined today. I want to express and show my body and not show my body. Like I, I guess I have more decision. Like I'm more particular about how I want the public. The religion to able part to is the fact. My body. The Sarah, you were going to say something. Yeah, I um, I, I wanted to ask Hoda a, a question. Um, so we're talking about you know what it means, and you're sort of pushing back. You're saying that it you know, means different things for different people. Do you think it's, you think it's unfair? And I just want to get it cleared out just cl clearly. Would you think it's unfair to say that there is a, a pattern, a pervasive pattern of, of the hijab being equated with a woman's purity? Do you think that this isn't enough of a problem to be addressed? I mean, do you, would you say that, that it's completely unfair and for every woman, it's a completely different thing? So, for example, I think that's I think it's different based on different contexts. For your example, in Iran, but but just okay. in we're making generalities. So but I, just, I but you can't make generalities. That's like that's my whole argument. We must. We can't must. Make general it, do we? Do we really? Uh, we don't have to make generalities. Well, that you're like Mercury. You're just getting away every time somebody. We don't have no, to, I'm, we don't I, have to so, say that for an individual woman, this means X. That's not what we're saying at all. All we're, we're trying to, I mean, part of addressing social concerns, part of addressing social ills is to identify that they exist in, uh, you know, significant amounts. That's that's all we're saying. So we're not saying that uh, for you, it means But where? Anything. Like, I want to be specific because, like, as someone who in does Muslim societies as areas. a whole, but let's just let's just aim it. For example, let's just aim it just in the Western world because we don't want to go. We don't want to discuss. I don't want to discuss the East anyway. Um, but let's let's talk about the Western Muslim communities. Would you say that it's unfair to say that 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 there is a, a pervasive tendency within Muslim communities to equate the hijab with purity, or do you say that that does not exist? I think it exists to a certain degree. Right. And so this is what I think the pushback on the hijab is, which is that, yes, for us, you know, individuals here and there and for privileged women and for, you know, and we're, I'm happy for them. I'm happy that they have the choice, that they are not affected by this pervasive tendency. But many are far too many are. I wouldn't I, I don't know about most. I don't know about numbers exactly, but I know it's enough that it is something that we should be concerned about. So. What I'm not seeing enough is, you know, uh, women who choose to be modest, hijabis who, who choose it as a choice are also standing up, also pointing out that this pervasive tendency exists and then fighting against it. I see it all the time. <laughs> I see I see Muslim women who wear the hijab and Muslim women who don't wear the hijab fighting for feminism, fighting as feminists all the mm -hmm. time for women's right to choose how they want to dress. I see that all the time. Oh, well, I mean, I would disagree with that because I think it's still so, it's so strong. I mean, maybe what I do hear, 
uh, hijabis speak out. It's about, you know, uh, World Hijab Day. But then when there was, you know, there was... I mean, a, I'm against World Hijab Day, actually, personally. Oh, you are? Mm-hmm. Why would you say that? I think, well, I think the intentions for World Hijab Day is having people experience what it feels like to be a Muslim, but for like in the sake of solidarity. But I just don't think that's what solidarity to the Muslim community looks like because just like you shouldn't have to quote unquote experience what it feels like to be a Muslim in order to have empathy. Like it's not like, like for example, like there's not a go around, like have blackface for a day, you know, that's just wrong. Like people should be, (laughs) it's ridiculous. Like I should have sympathy and I should have, be able to work in solidarity. Do you see hijabs as equivalent to blackface? No, not at all. No, in other words, it's not. (laughs) But I'm saying that as it was probably a bad example, but I'm saying like we don't have to be and experience the same same thing that the communities are experiencing that we want to be in allyship with. Like I don't have to experience or change the way I look um, in order to experience what it feels like in somebody else's life in order to show that I can be in solidarity with them. That's what I'm saying. Well, especially not if it's like a, some sort of a purity, uh, chastity belt-like idea, right? I mean, that's how I see it. When people well, from express- my experience, when when these things started happening in Egypt in 1980s, and this is this was part of the indoctrination um, to make it part of normal, everyday, uh, accepted part of the society. This is how eventually, I mean, um, it, it, the gradually uh, it, it took over. So this. what do you think is the best way of addressing this, the gradual oh. creep, you know? I don't know. I really don't know. I know that it is that what, what happened over the past 30 years, um, and I've read all of the social studies that came with trying to interpret why are women going back to address the, that the women in the 1990s, 1919 took off as a symbol of uh, oppression and uh, segregation. It's very difficult. I don't know when something, you know, that's why the uh, theocracies are the most difficult f- forms of government to get rid of, is that when you tell people something is happening because of religion, it's impossible to, to just try to talk rationality to them because with religion comes complete faith belief so what do we do i don't know is banning the way to go aren't you religious yourself what aren't you religious yourself yeah but i do not believe and when the women in 1919 took off the turkish ottoman uh, see now you're saying religious the religious people of al-azhar they never objected on any religious grounds they never said that this the, everybody knew this is a cultural dress, not a religious dress. And the women took it off. They refused the Ottoman Empire dress, and they they went. They started going to school, working with men, and everything. We have in Al Azhar there is um, a, a school for for girls in Al Azhar, and they are all sitting on uh, in the uh, on their desks. Not a single one wearing um, a scarf, not even, I mean, hijab, which did not, it was not in the vernacular of, of the Egyptians or anybody else in the Middle East for that matter. Um, and and the, the teacher is standing there. He's a clergy wearing the traditional clergy uh, clothes. And he never said, um, 
you know, hey, girl, cover up. Since Hoda has to leave, I'm just going to try and stick no, one. No, Hoda, don't leave. <laughs> oh, I'm sure you and everyone will be the most upset. We have gone we have gone over overestimated time. I knew this would be a really interesting and heated discussion that would never have ended in an hour, but I was going to try. Anyways, my last question to you Huda is this. Um what have you thought and and I guess Sarah too. What have you guys thought about the Olympics uh headlines uh lately? What I noticed was there was a big glorification of uh, hijabi athletes for example the american fencer ibtihaj muhammad and there was no really no special um celebration about the other uh, muhammad athlete that was a track and field athlete delilah i think and that just strikes me as um kind of sad you know that we feel in this time of um Trump's anti-Muslim bigotry we have to then side with the minorities a lot of people feel that and i understand that and i think it's a noble sentiment but i don't think that the other option available should be we should praise every bad practice that comes from minority communities um and that's what ends up happening i mean i heard an interview with ibtihaj and she said that her mother chose fencing because she was driving by and she saw that this was a sport for fully covered people. Oh my god. And she didn't know what it was, but she's like I got to enroll my daughter immediately. And I'm like this is this is a horrific reason to enroll your child in a sport, <laughs> yeah. right? And yet she's being celebrated. So, what are your thoughts on that? Hoda first and then Sarah? Okay, so yeah, I think that for someone from the United States um living constantly seeing the only time we see someone who wears the hijab on media is being berated um finally seeing someone who is wearing the hijab in a good light was refreshing just because i've never seen that on mainstream western media never but does it have um, to be so glorified but i think so it's it's a form of representation so for example like right now also parallel to that conversation was a lot of conversations about how beautiful it is like the black girl magic that was happening there is so many black women doing amazing things getting so many medals and there was a huge like glorification of that too because again black women and black people in mainstream western media usually are not shown in a nice light so when they were finally portrayed in this beautiful like heroic almost light that they oh they got these medals it's really nice like there's so many images of like young little black girls saying wow maybe i can do that too but and now for you're me, changing it when That's... it comes to sports no it's very relevant because for me um something like when i was growing up i played tennis and um i was really good <laughs> but um because i wore the hijab my coach told me like to quote her words she called me a disgrace to the team because i refused to wear a mini skirt she called me a disgrace to the team because i didn't look like everybody well, that's else that's horrible that's horrible exactly thank you and i think it's and so for me i've always been it's that made me very uncomfortable to play sports it made me always shy away from playing sports because my experiences with it was just very very horrible and so being able to see someone who wears the hijab someone who looks like me finally being portrayed in a good light finally doing something that was pushed against like society did not let me do they called it repulsive they said it was 
um, just to, like they wouldn't let me be on the team. Like that, it was nice. I liked it. It was it was nice to see someone um, who wears the hijab who looks like me getting praised finally. I just want to <laughs> be doing clear something that, that I was constantly being pushed out I'm, of. I'm really sorry that that you had to go through that. Like I truly am, and I I wouldn't condone that kind of behavior at all. But my point is only to say that do we have to glorify this thing? Can't we just like have positive portrayals of hijabis that are just incidentally hijabis rather than celebrating the hijab itself? I have a theory about that. And I think that that's, it's particular just because right now we are, like, I would love for that to happen. Like, I would love hijab to not be this little, like, exoticized thing. Like, oh my God, look, she's wearing the hijab, our hijabi athletes. No, Mm -hmm. I want them to all be fabulous women. And some of them happen to wear hijab because they choose to, you know? And, but because right now we're at a time of heightened Islamophobia, which clearly this is very, very go. Can I just say the problem with the term Islamophobia? The problem with the term Islamophobia is that it conflates criticism of the religion with bigotry towards the people. And I don't think that that is really uh, interchangeable like that. I am very critical of the religion, but I am very critical of people who are generalizing and bigoted towards Muslims as well. So can you see the difference? So don't you think... I think there is a difference, but I I think that's a whole other conversation about terminology. Um, But like using that term right now to reflect um, anti-Muslim, um, hate crimes against fundamental Muslims. Muslims, not all Muslims. So hate Anti- crimes against me and non-fundamentalists. <laughs> um, so that is how I'm defining it in this current point. So no, I do think that every term should be, as I, I come from a theoretical background, and I think terms should be acknowledged. And I mean, and just like thought about and um, dissected, but. I'm talking about right now in a climate where a Muslim woman is tackled by CPD officers because they think she's ISIS, where a Muslim woman is kicked out of a store, where Muslims are kicked off of airlines for doing math. That's Muslim phobia. Okay, Muslim phobia. If that's the word that you want to use to describe this, I'll use that for now. Of course, we can, I don't have time to get into a different debate. I have to run. Where are you going, Go? In this time. Where are you going? Why is that relevant? (laughs) (laughs) How is that any of your business? I want to know. Why don't you stay with us? I'm, I have a life outside of discussing panels. I'm sorry. But yeah, so I think in this current time of you want to use the word Muslimophobia, let's use that. In this current time, we have to be able to acknowledge and see that Muslims are also doing good things because we don't see that at all in media. So that's why I think that it should be acknowledged that these women are also wearing hijab. Absolutely. But without celebrating the practice of hijab can be done. It can be done. Okay. Sarah, I don't can, know I, can I jump over here? Can can Sarah? we just give Sarah a chance to speak, <laughs> and then okay. you can talk, Hala, after Sarah. Okay. Well, um, you know, if we're about wrapping it up, I'm pro- pretty sure this will be the last time I get to speak. But <laughs> <laughs> well, Sarah, you, you say that in such an ominous way. No, no, no I <laughs> promise. I, I, I only I, have one point to make, and that's it. I'm gonna okay. be quiet. Okay. Well, I I, I want to thank you know both Hala and Huda for 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 being here and for talking about their experiences. I found it, both of them, very interesting. And I found your back and forth to be very interesting. I think we listeners will too. But as far as the hijabi uh, athlete is concerned, I didn't, I didn't like that at all. I didn't like the coverage at all. I thought, um, uh, and 
I understand what Huda is saying, that it's nice to be represented in a positive light as, you know, uh, someone representing her country, etc. And that's that that is nice. However, um, I am disturbed by the tendency to 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 look at Muslims and especially Muslim women as primarily being hijabi women. Mm -hmm. And I would like that was my point. Thank uh, you, Sarah. I would like to see women like Asra Namani being also being represented as, you know, an example of a Muslim woman who, you know, thinks a certain way, maybe a little bit differently. But there seems to be a lot of politics that are involved in, um, you know, determining who is or isn't an, you know, quote unquote, authentic voice for American Muslims and for um, for Islam in general. And I, so I'm, I'm disturbed by how visible um, that may be just because the hijab yeah. is very conspicuous. But I think there's also a push to make uh, the hijab a symbol for Muslims Islam. yes. and Islam yes. altogether, yeah. which yeah. I find disturbing. Yeah. And uh, it creates this kind of very toxic atmosphere where other women, you know, feel like they can't speak and they're considered outsiders and black sheep and um, right. and distasteful in some way as, uh, you know, someone like uh, the athlete would not. So I think it's ignorance on part of the media um, more than it is a, a, a conscious choice. And uh, so that's they they associate Muslims and Islam in general with um, the hijabi or with the hijab itself. They're not aware that there are other Muslims and this is only one part of Muslims. And this is a point that I try to emphasize anywhere. Um, if I'm having an interview or if I'm writing, I always emphasize that this is just one group of Muslims, and not all Muslims have the same belief. Maybe they're more mm-hmm. visible because they are conspicuous. Uh, but um, but it, so I think the concentration on the hijabi athlete was because they think, oh, we are celebrating Islam. We're celebrating all the Muslims. Um, well, they, meanwhile, we had another Muslim athlete who was like in a crop top and shorts, and nobody really held her up as a symbol of being Muslim. Right. Because I mean, she's not wearing the symbol, I think. There's, there's many, I'm sure, you know, if, if, uh, it's hard to tell because there are, I don't think there's any, you know, surveys about this sort of thing, but I'm sure we've had many Muslim female athletes um, as part of, you know, Team USA in mm-hmm. particular. And I think that, but they're, because, you know, that's not, they're not visible. Muslim, so any struggles that they have, may have faced um, to become an athlete are struggles that, that go unaddressed. So I wasn't encouraged to participate in sports. I was discouraged mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> to participate because of the movement of my body, and it's you know it, it could be suggestive or whatever it is. So, <laughs> so there's so there's uh, you know I, there is a, a difficulty you know if you are a liberal Muslim woman to 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 participate. And I think that that would, that just goes completely unaddressed because of just the visibility of the hijab. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, Hoda, any last, any last comments before you go? (laughs) Um, no, I mean, I feel like I've said a lot when I was able to speak and not be interrupted. (laughs) All right. Okay. I, I don't want you to go, so I'm going to be quiet. Come on, stay with us. I know I I, re- I really really must go, but thank you so much for having me um, and being helping me be part of this conversation. Well, no, thank you, thank you very much because I I understand if it was not in your comfort zone, but I I really appreciate your openness and your willingness to want to discuss this. I think these are the conversations that will move us forward. 
And yeah, I love you. I don't want you to go, and I love you. And I'm sorry if I gave you a hard time. Aww, I didn't. see, this is what polite <laughs> conversations is all about. I think see, you're you'll adorable. Say this, but you look. won't fight for my right to wear the hijab because you say it should be banned in public, so I don't know what to believe. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, on that note, that'll be my final note. <laughs> <laughs> it was so nice speaking with all of you, and I wish you all the best. Yeah, you okay. too. You Take too, care. Yelena. Take care, everyone. Take- Thank you, Sarah and uh, Hala as well for taking Thank the time out to have this have almost two-hour-long conversation. Wow. <laughs> So yeah. hopefully people will find it just as interesting as I did. I, I did find yours and uh, Hala and Huda, your exchanges and your butting heads to be fantastic. I loved it. I loved Sarah so much, too. She is such a, a, a very wise little girl. Uh, no, sorry. I'm sorry. Young woman. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. A very wise young woman. And Huda is adorable. All right. Well, okay. thank you. Thank you both. This was Bye. this was fun. I enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. Me too. Very much. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, uh, stay in touch. And uh, maybe we can chat again. I know Sarah, Sarah and I are in touch, but you, Hala, and Hoda. Oh, I love this. All right. <laughs> All right. Take care, guys. I love you. Bye. 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 Take care. <laughs> Thanks for listening to another episode of Polite Conversations. You can support this podcast by sharing the shit out of it, making some noise about it, or contributing via Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash nice mangoes. No Ian mangoes. Also, you can follow me on Twitter at nice mangoes. If you want to make a one-time donation instead of a monthly Patreon one, you can do so via PayPal. NiceMangoes.blog at gmail.com. Remember, no Ian mangoes. If you've got an interesting story and would potentially like to be a guest, you can email me there too. A special thanks to Dylan Beck for theme music, sound, and production help. <laughs>